Did you have the words going through your mind of our Lord's Prayer put to music? Give us this day our daily bread. Deliver us from evil. And, you know the next part? Lead us not into temptation. You might say in some ways that our Exodus 10 commandment series is all about overcoming temptation. How about today, commandment number eight, the temptation to steal? Have you ever felt it? I invite you to turn in in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, where we have uh, written for us uh, the account of the Ten Commandments given by God directly as he has spoken to his servant Moses. We've been on a summer series of dealing with the Ten Commandments, and though uh, while in my absence to keep our momentum going on our commandments, uh, Jim Shupey dealt with the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. And the Seventh Commandment, Pastor Mark last week, dealing with that uh, topic of adultery, and today the eighth, Eighth Commandment, let's just say it together, Commandment number seven, You shall not steal. You shall not steal. As I have prepared for these messages and been reflecting upon them and listening to Jim and to Mark preach, one of the things that I have been struck with is how relevant the Bible is. You You can hardly find a topic more relevant in our culture than that of stealing. Do you know that as we live in a world that is winding down Stealing and the, the improper, unlawful acquisition of taking someone else's goods is pandemic in America. I wonder how it is in the church. It's a simple verse. You shall not steal. I did a little bit of research and it was stunning to me to find out that in the area of just shoplifting alone, more than 13 billion, listen, 13 billion dollars worth of goods are stolen from retailers every year. That's more than 35 million dollars a day in our country. That means when you wake up in the morning, grab your coffee, go off to work, come home, read the paper, Watch the news and go to bed. That's about how your life works, right? And you go to bed at night. That day, 24 hours has gone by and your day is over. $35 million worth of goods have been stolen in America. That's unbelievable. There are at least 27 million people estimated involved in shoplifting in America. That's one in 11 people, people who study this, And deal with this. It was interesting to me to recognize that it's not necessarily a juvenile problem. Oh, I know about stealing. My buddies, Rudy Baldraz, Eddie Hazier, Richie, his brother, and Ernie Garza, my neighborhood boys in the suburbs of South Chicago. Oh, this week at at sports camp, we were talking about being disciplined and how a Christian has to be disciplined to overcome evil. You can't be a good athlete or a good Christian if you're undisciplined and don't have self-control. Eddie and Rudy, hey, Van, let's go. What are you going to do? We're going to steal a bike today. 
And they had a little bike stealing ring in the suburbs there where we lived in Chicago. And they would go sneak up the alleys a couple blocks away from our home and create a diversion out on the front sidewalk. And somebody would grab a bike and go running down the alley with it. They'd take it down behind Rudy's garage, light a fire, take the seat and the handlebars, the tires, everything off of it, the pedals, and light a fire. I'm giving some good ideas. No, it's not bad ideas, but uh, they light it burn the paint off the bicycle frames, sand it down, spray paint it, put, rearrange the seats and the handlebars from different bikes, and then they would ride them or sell them to their buddies, and they had a little bike ring going. And little Vanny, the pastor son, about 11 years old, stand there watching them do their craft. Stealing. Taking someone else's property without permission. The unlawful acquisition, the inappropriate acquisition of taking something that belongs to someone else that is not mine to take or to touch. You'll notice in your Ten Commandments list, as we're on number eight, we have two more to go. We have false witness next week, and then we have you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And commandment number ten, it's interesting to note that commandment number eight and commandment number ten are sort of, I call them, kissing cousins. Thou shalt not steal, that is when I see something that I want that you have that's not mine and I physically take it. It's not honest, it's not appropriate, it's not, I have no permission and I take it. It's not mine to take. Coveting is similar in that you have something that I want, you have something that I desire very much, where commandment number eight is the physically The physical taking of something, commandment number 10 deals with the issue of the heart and the inner person that says, oh, I really want that. It's the attitude that says, whatever it is you have, I want. Maybe commandment number 10 comes before commandment number eight in the reality of the outwork of living in our lives. A few more statistics that were just stunning to me. I thought that it was a juvenile problem and that kids steal. I told you about Rudy and Eddie and those guys in their bike ring. I know that kids steal. I never got involved with them, but I never told my dad about it either. Only 25% of all people who shoplift are juveniles. 75% of all shoplifters are adults in America. $35 million industry a day of shoplifting. Adults. Adults are also guilty of theft in the workplace. There's been significant studies done that are very credible on this, dealing with how to terminate and diminish losses in the workplace. The most obvious form of employee theft is stealing cash from customer transactions like the cash register. And when people collect cash from customers or from the company account itself, other forms include time card fraud and office supply theft. They put that all together and did a study on how much employers are losing in America annually. And it is absolutely mind boggling. 50, not million, 50 billion 50 billion a year in losses if you add in time card fraud, the taking and acquiring of things that don't belong to you, time lost on the job when you're involved in things like talking on the phone and you're not doing your job, you're stealing time. In fact, that's where it kind of hits home to us, isn't it? You recognize not only is commandment number eight sort of a kiss and cousin to commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet, but this commandment is is interwoven with a number of other really relevant issues in our lives that we deal with every day. For example, if you steal someone's time, 
I enter uninvited, I enter inappropriately, and I take without permission somebody's time. I am rude and inappropriate. If I look at someone else's answers in the classroom on a test sheet, and I take their answers, I steal their answers, and put them without permission, unlawfully and inappropriately on my paper, what do we call that person? A cheater. So a a thief and a cheater are one and the same in that context. How about if I steal someone's reputation? I unlawfully and, and inappropriately take away from someone their reputation and I steal it from them. That's called slander. When I steal money from my boss or I steal money from, uh, especially in an organized fashion, it's called embezzlement. When I steal words from someone and use them unlawfully, I'm a plagiarist. If I steal someone's freedom, I'm a kidnapper. If I steal someone's life, I'm a murderer. If I steal from the glory of God and the things that belong to the name of Christ and I take them for myself inappropriately and try to bring that reflection upon myself and I steal his glory, I'm an idolater. Do you think this is not a relevant and appropriate command for us today? So important for us, as are all of these commands, as God springing out of his character and God is love, He is one who provides. God is the one who makes us lie down in green pastures and meets all of our needs. We'll talk about that in just a minute as well. God is a giver, not a taker. And so these commands spring out of his character. And so when we steal, not only do we violate a direct command from God, but we violate the very character of who God is. It's a spit in his eye when you break these commands. What I want us to do for the balance of our time this morning is I want to make application as to the significance of particularly a Christian who is careless about stealing. I want to call the church to an evaluation. I want to call our Christian homes and families and our young people and our children and boys and girls and young people who are taking notes on our Ten Commandments series. You've been challenged to take notes. If you're new to us, you can still jump in. Take as many notes as messages as you hear. And the deal was if you could take sermon notes out of eight of ten messages, you get a free camp t-shirt. Well, I have the coupons today as we're on commandment number eight. And a A whole bunch of young kids and young people have been doing an excellent job taking notes. And I'm proud of them. You can still do that. Be sure and see me so I can sign off on your notes and you can get your t-shirt coupon. You can't get your t-shirt without the coupon. But what I want us to do is I want us to, to just recognize that when a Christian steals, when a Christian violates the eighth commandment, there are... There are at least five serious spiritual breakdowns that take place. I want us to be convicted. I want us to be convicted in the area of our personal integrity. I want us to be convicted as a church and as individuals in Christian homes and young people that we would live lives that are above reproach. I want us to be convicted as we live out these commands. And you'll see that this one is clearly taught in the New Testament, retaught in the New Testament. 
that we stand in contrast with a world that steals $35 billion worth of stuff every year. By the way, the most number one common food product that is stolen is meat. Women steal perfume and cosmetics most. Men steal electronics the most. Johnny Cash sang a song about a guy that stole a whole Cadillac over the course of a number of years. I don't know what it is where you're vulnerable to cut corners. I don't know what it is that tempts you. I don't know what it is that you think you need it so badly that you cannot save up and buy it or you cannot wait upon your Heavenly Father to provide for you that you need to steal it, but it has to stop. We need to be sensitive to these things. So let the Lord work five spiritual breakdowns that happen when you steal, particularly I'm addressing the church today. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're not part of God's church, let me encourage you to trust Christ today. Become part of His church. I'm speaking of His universal church, His family. You put your faith and trust in Christ alone and become a new creation in Christ And the first thing I want you to see is the most obvious thing with all of our commandments. The first serious spiritual breakdown that takes place when we steal is that number one, and this is almost so obvious I shouldn't mention it, but I don't want you to miss it. Number one, it means that I violate the direct command of God. I violate the direct command of God. What I'm thinking of is, as we've referenced on other commandments as well, is, you know, the Bible, it's, it's a hard book to understand in a lot of ways. You know that, right? And you know that it's a pretty thick book with a lot of small print, and there's parts of it that are difficult to understand. But I, I don't want us to be embarrassed or humiliated when we stand before God, and He looks at us, and, and we're held accountable for this kind of behavior and say, well, I I just didn't get that out of the Bible. How can you not get out of the Bible? I said, do not steal. It's as simple as that. It's one of the things that I talked about at camp this week to help the boys and girls, the young campers, and they get younger every year when I speak to them. (laughs) Talking about some tools built into our lives that help us overcome temptation and help us to be disciplined. And one factor is I was talking about their parents. Don't think, just do what your mom and dad tell you to do at that age. Your mom and dad have told you not to steal. If you just do what your mom and dad say, then you won't steal. That's not a difficult formula. Ah, but we have this problem with our hearts, don't we? We have this problem with our flesh. And oh... Oh, I need it. I want it. I don't have any paper clips at home. I need paper clips. I don't want to go to the post office and buy a stamp. I need a stamp. I will take it. No. The heart is a very slippery thing, isn't it? Deceitful. Desperately wicked above all other things. The prophet Jeremiah said. So it'll help us to just get in our head. This is what God said. And if I steal, I violate his command. And I've built into my life this principle that if God said it, and I understand that he said it, then I'm going to do it. That's it. If God said it, and I understand it, then just do it. 
serious spiritual breakdown number one is that I violate a direct command from God. God spoke to Moses, who spoke to us and said, do not steal. What don't you get about that? Spiritual breakdown number two is that I trample on the defining duty of the Christian life. I trample on the defining duty of the Christian life. We've been reviewing this almost weekly, but if someone were to ask you, boil down the Christian life into a simple formula that I can understand. Maybe they're from another country or from another religion and faith, and they say, boil down for me in simple terms, what is Christianity all about? You have to quote Matthew 22, don't you, in our Lord's words. I'll tell you what Christianity is all about. It is about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and might. And then loving your neighbor as yourself. That is the duty of all Christians. And so when we, when we read that and we hear that, echoing in our ears in, in Matthew chapter 6 are the words of our Lord Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount where he said, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What do we call that verse? The golden rule. That is the defining duty of the Christian life. You want to boil down the Christian life into one phrase, there it is. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. But then you recognize, I'm powerless to do that. I like myself a lot more than I like everyone else. I'm not as happy when you get a $20 bill and I don't have a $20 bill as when I get a $20 bill and you don't have a $20 bill. That's because Christ hasn't changed your heart and your mind. That's because you're not a new creation in Christ. And when you're in Christ and the power of God is in you, then you can live out the claims of Christ in your life. But when you steal, what do you do? You go to your fellow man and you take something from them. You don't give to them. You have trampled on the defining duty of all Christians. You have absolutely done something contrary to the Christian faith. Third spiritual breakdown in your life is that when I steal... I demonstrate a total lack of faith in the promise of God's provision. When I steal, number three, I demonstrate a total lack of faith in the promise of God's provision. I have talked to people who are Christians who have stolen food because they didn't have enough money to buy the kind of groceries they wanted that week. By the way, people who give in and begin to shoplift, there have been studies done on this and they say that the adrenaline rush, if you make it out of the store and get home with your goods, that there is a literal chemical response to the body that is addictive and they say it is absolutely equal to the addiction of drugs. And that people who begin to steal almost inevitably continue to steal because of that feeling. And when they get into that lifestyle, it is very difficult to break out of it. And I have talked to Christians who have told me I didn't need it. They stole a tub of margarine. And they didn't really need it. And, and when you get into that lifestyle, studies have been done. They will continue to do it and they will perform acts of theft Nearly twice a week, 1.6 times a week, they will steal if you're into shoplifting and it's very difficult to break. It's interesting, isn't it? Interesting, isn't it, how sin gets you? Interesting how you think you can play around with the flesh. How about adultery? 
Last week's message. You think you can toy around with this stuff. You think I can handle it. And in someone's famous words, you can't handle it. It'll eat you for lunch. And as God told Cain back in Genesis, right before he murdered his brother, he said, sin is crouching at your door and it's waiting to devour you. You have to take this stuff seriously. It's serious enough that it springs from the character of God and that God wrote it down and wants us to understand it. Live it. Philippians 4.19. Let me just quote it for you. It's a good verse to have in mind. Philippians 4.19. And my God, the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian believers, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Listen, if you don't have enough money for groceries this week, do you think your heavenly father knows it? Let me encourage you to do your devotions this week. Read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. That's that great passage, Matthew 6, 25 to 34. It's a great passage. Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount where he gave the golden rule. And he's teaching the multitudes there. And he says, don't you know that not a bird falls from the sky and I don't know it? Consider the sparrows, how they, they don't store up in barns and their heavenly father feeds them. How much more will I feed you? Why do you run about in anxiety and stress like the pagans do worrying about what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Your heavenly father will meet those needs. Our problem is we don't like to wait. Our problem is we sometimes don't like the way God's going to meet that need. So when I steal, when I go to a store and I steal, or I take something that I think I need from my boss, I take out of the tool bin some tools and run them home and take them home or whatever it is, because I really need that. Listen, your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. And if you don't have it, wait on him and ask him for it. Or maybe how about this? How about coming to a Christian brother and borrowing his? You can borrow anything I have except my wife and my 270. If you really need my 270, I'll lend it to you. I just will not be happy about it. Don't you think it would be a shame in the Christian community, in the church, at Fellowship Bible Church, if somebody stole a drill or a pack of nails because they needed it when 39 Christian brothers have three of each of those? You see, when we're loving one another and we're meeting one another's needs and we're looking to our Heavenly Father, He will meet our needs. And so when I steal... I demonstrate a total lack of faith. Number four, I revert to the deceitful practices of my former life without Christ. Number four, when I violate the eighth command, thou shalt not steal, I revert to the deceitful practices of my former life without Christ. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please, in your Bible? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I know we haven't looked at the scripture together too much this morning. and You've been listening. But I trust it's been helpful and perhaps you'll jot some notes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers here. There's a church there. And remember, when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you are, you are reading a letter written to a dysfunctional church, a church of messed up people. The Apostle Paul is reminding them in chapter 6 that, for example, that they're not to take one another to court and sue each other if they're in the church. They're to get people in the church to help them settle their disputes. He goes on to remind them why it is so important not to do something, not to live the way they used to live. Another passage that you need to write down and that we'll not take time to look up is Ephesians chapter 4. It's Ephesians chapter 4. It begins with verse 17, and it keeps staying in 1 Corinthians, but just listen. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, the Apostle Paul clearly through 28, clearly is talking about the exact same principle as he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 6. And it is this. Before you knew Christ, you did things like stealing. Now that you know Christ, if you steal, you're going to revert back to the behavior before you knew Christ. That is disgraceful. Why would God's church, redeemed ones, justified, sanctified, seated in the heavenlies, heading to heavenly, heading to heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit, why would you live like a pagan? That's what Paul's point is. You're stay in 1 Corinthians 6, but let me remind you, because I want to say out loud to you exactly where commandment number 8 is repeated. In the New Testament, and it's in the Ephesians 4 passage, and he says, verse 17, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, no longer in the futility of your mind, in the darkening of your understanding, alienated from the life of God, hard of heart, callous, given over to sensuality. That is not the way you learned Christ, he says. He goes down the line then to demonstrate the newness of life in Christ and what that looks like in Ephesians 4. And he gets to verse 28 and he says, let, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Guess why Paul said you have to work and not steal? Work honest labor with your own hands. And he even goes on to say, so that you may have something to share with your brothers in need. That's a motivation to get out of bed and go to work so that you can give it away to your brothers and sisters in need. I want to tell you that I think there's a day coming when that verse will be lived out here in a way that in our affluence it is not now. And we will get up and we will work hard and we will share what we have with one another. And it will be very important for us to think about the elderly and the weak in our church in a way that we don't think about now. And to take care of them and to work hard so that we can give it away. But that's another message. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 quickly and notice. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul gives us a list that is also given in two other places. He gives it in Galatians and John gave it in Revelation. And he actually lists the kinds of people who cannot go to heaven. They do not inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 9, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor, say the next word, thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, 
will do what? He says it again. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. This is a powerful reality. Paul writing to the Corinthian believers. And such were some of you. You know what? I have an idea. I have an idea that on almost every command we've done, if we said, how many of you used to do this? And how many of you have done this? And how many of you have done this? But praise God, since I'm in Christ, that's what I used to be. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. You used to be thieves. But now... You are what? You are washed and you are sanctified, set apart unto righteousness. You were justified, declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God once for all. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So why would someone who's been washed by the blood of Christ, someone who has been sanctified and set apart by the Holy Spirit, somebody who has been justified by the completed work and substitutionary death of Christ on the cross, why would you go back and live as though that didn't happen? At the end of the second service, a lady came up to me and she took me off to the side and she said, Pastor, I want to tell you a story. She said, many, many years ago, when we were first married, we were unsaved and pagan. And I worked in a department store, and I was one of the employees who closed out in the evening and shut down the store and had a set of keys and locked the store. And we had just got married, and my apartment was bare. And every evening, when I locked that door and turned and walked away, I had a big old bag full of stuff. Curtains. Things that you need for your apartment. She said uh, several years later, they got saved. They got washed by the blood of the Lamb. They got sanctified by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and the washing of water in the Word. The cleansing that comes at salvation through the cross, through the blood of Christ. And they were justified, declared righteous in the eyes of God and they began to grow in Christ. And she said, everywhere I looked in my apartment, I saw stuff that I stole. So I started going around taking it down and I threw it in the trash. And my husband said, what are you doing? Why don't you just give it away? He said, no, I don't know what else to do with it. It just needs to be gone. It's under the blood. It's over. Interesting, isn't it? Before she was saved bag full of stuff. After she's saved, she can't even stand to look at a little plate on the table. I don't go back to the old ways. Paul called it like a dog returning to his vomit. And Proverbs said the same thing. Why would you go back to the old ways? Fifthly, I contradict the clear pattern of Christ. If I steal, not only do I violate the direct command of God... I trample on the defining duty of the Christian life. I demonstrate a total lack of faith in God's promise for provision. I revert to the deceitful practices of my former life without Christ. And finally, I contradict the clear pattern of Christ in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. You might be in 1 Corinthians still. You can flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. And the Apostle Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you know that Jesus has never taken anything from us other than our sin and put it in the deepest part of the deepest sea, gone forever, as far as the east is from the west? That Jesus, who is God, out of his character, is a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is not a taker. Jesus is a giver. And as I reflect the life of Christ in my life, I am to be a giver, not a taker. Now, he who was rich became poor. He didn't, who was poor, like Robin Hood, take from the rich to give to the poor. He himself was rich and he gave it to the poor, impoverished, sinful people like you and like me. And so for me to steal is to take away from someone that I am supposed to give to and I completely reverse image Christ in me. Is Christ in you today? Have you experienced the riches of Christ given to you for free by grace? He who is rich, don't miss the verse, became poor so that you, just as you are, could receive from him his great salvation I've been talking mostly to the church today. Everyone should listen, but perhaps there's someone that knows they're outside of Christ. Perhaps you know that your heart is bent towards evil and sin and you're not sure what to do about it. This verse gives you a significant clue that he, that's the Lord Jesus, who was rich, became poor. Became poor means he went and allowed Roman soldiers to nail him on a cross so that in the eyes of of his heavenly father, he would take the sin of the world and pay the penalty for the sins of the world upon himself so that today you could come to him in faith, believing that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day to prove the, the veracity of his message and that he alone could take your sin and pay the penalty in the eyes of a holy God for that sin. And then in return, he who became, who was rich became poor for you at the cross so that you who are poor, that means your sinfulness and your poverty and your helplessness, you could come to the cross and you could take the riches of Christ and they would be yours. He became poor so that you could become rich. Are you rich today? Are you dressed in rags with a dirty, sinful heart? Why don't you come to the cross today? We're going to sing as we close in just a minute an old gospel closeout hymn called Just As I Am. And as we sing, you are welcome to come down front. Meet with one of our pastors. Pastor Mark and Pastor Everett will be standing down front, one on each side. And you can come down and pray with them. If you don't have the courage to do it while we're singing... When we dismiss with a closing word of prayer in just a minute, everybody's going to head out the back. We don't have to take down chairs. Just head out the back. You come this way and find one of these pastors and you make sure that you're rich today in Christ. Acknowledge your sinfulness. Go to the cross where Jesus became poor for you so that you could take his riches, his righteousness, and stand just in the eyes of a holy God today and be born again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good instruction from your word today. Thank you for the convicting and relevant reminder that we are not to be thieves. We are not to steal. 
And that we are to live out the defining duty of those who are under the blood and in Christ, and that is to love our neighbor as ourself, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And Father, we admit we, we are helpless to do that in our own strength. So come remake us, wash away our sin, instill your Holy Spirit in us, open our eyes to the instruction of your word. Help us, Father, to live for you. For those who are seeking Christ today and need their sin forgiven and need to come to the cross, give them the courage to admit their sinfulness before you. Draw them unto yourself right now. Open their eyes to their need of Jesus. Show them how Jesus died for their sin and paid the price so that God could look on them as holy and just because of the righteousness of Christ. Make these things clear, I pray, even as we sing. Amen.